I'm Paul Hamill and you're listening to the Grassroots Coach Podcast, a podcast for grassroots soccer enthusiasts. Everyone loves winning and uh, like people are sometimes only happy if they're winning but if something doesn't go their way there has to be a loser at the end of the day and I wouldn't say to if I had a team to come off the pitch I've had in the past in the Gainer Cups they've come off the pitch and they're, they're crying their eyes out they've lost the cup final and they're devastated we don't lose you learn and you just make sure that doesn't happen next year but one, if as a coach if I see them kids have left 100% on that pitch and, and given it their all and, and, and did their best mm. and played with a smile on their face and really tried well then I'm happy In this episode I speak to Laura Cusack UEFA coach and former FAI development officer and Megan Smith-Lynch, Ireland under-16 women's coach and current female United player, where we discuss opportunities for female soccer players and we also share some coaching tips and nuggets. The current landscape then for a, a young girl getting involved with soccer, what, what, is, what are the opportunities for, for her now, Megan? I think um, across Ireland, development officers, there's a real emphasis on um, growing the, the female game in terms of every club, trying to imp, uh, get in a girls' academy in every club as, be- as much as possible. I know some clubs aren't as pushed as probably others, but I think it's important that in each county there's enough clubs to give that girl's opportunity of, of a choice. So just if I, if I could just go to the start of that, right? So if, say, a girl is looking to play soccer and let's say there is no girls team and they're in in their close locality would you be encouraging them to find a club not that far away that has a girls team or would you say just join up with the boys team or is it a bit of whatever whatever works for you kind of thing i think it depends on the personality of the child as well um mm. i think some some kids some girls will be a bit shy and timid and a bit bit reluctant to join a, a boys team and you have to understand that then in other other girls are willing to go to the boys team and they're not afraid to, to get stuck in and get involved with the boys so it just depends on the personality I, I think personally if if there's there's no problems then I, I'd really emphasize on, on the girls to get into the boys team I think the development of the girl will will be massive down the line when they do enter the girls game but then you do have them girls that want to stay with their friends and just have fun and just join women's girls football for the social aspect and sure yeah. Just just join a girls team just to be with their friends and and have fun. So you have to. And my, uh, and my daughter is eleven. It's all about that. Like she she would need a buddy with her, um, and it would be all about having the the, the fun element of it. Yeah. Yeah, and you yeah. see that, and and I think uh, this year the FEI camps they've started to try and do girls only camps, and you see massive numbers. And I think on the mainstream camps you might only get probably between some of the camps I've experienced uh, being involved in probably 10 to 20 girls in the camps but they're getting girls only camps now where there's roughly 45 girls on and I know um, Mead's done one a couple of weeks ago and um, other counties have done them so I think some girl, it's just completely different it depends on, on on the personality of the child but like these days like years ago I, I wouldn't have known of a girls team from under eights like a girls only team but in the last couple of years there's been a real real push and the growth in the, in the women's game has been absolutely huge in, in terms of participation levels so I think and is there any is there any recommendation and, and I know you could debate this forever like in terms of um specializing early and you know staying within the game and i don't particularly like categories like elite and 
whatever the rest of people or players are called, whether they're social or recreational or whatever. I, I'm not that comfortable with that, but I mean, it, it is what it is. But in terms of maybe the, um, like if you're to take a, a young girl who let's say will, will become elite, if you could predict it, what would you say is the best route for them? Like, like, do you think it would involve playing with boys at an earlier stage and then as they get older, getting into that emerging talent National League underage structures or not necessarily? I think um, at the moment there's actually an emphasis on, on girls trying to train with boys as much as possible, just particularly for, I spoke about earlier, just the, the physical side of the game and the speed of the game. But if girls aren't comfortable with that and they probably are, as you said, like an elite player, probably a, a bit ahead of the other players on the team in, in terms of maturity and their development, I think possibly playing an age, age or two up um, if they're still young. Just to, just to challenge them a bit more so when they do make that step into the regional centres, if, if they're good enough and, and the centre of excellence centres that they are. What age What age did they start at? So the regional centres, I think the MGL in, in Dublin, I don't, Laura, might be, it might be different in Kildare or um, what is, I think it could be under 11s. Um, and then in terms of the emergent or the centre of excellence, I'm with the under 13 at the moment. So that's where it starts. And then Laura's with the under 15s. And what, so what is that then, the, the centre of excellence? So it's just, a, it's a kind of stepping stone into the international setup. So it's it's all the, 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 the kind of players that are playing at club level who are really standing out for their, their club teams can come in and train once a week um, with all the other players from in and around the county and from the, the regional centre. So in, in the North Dublin one we have at the moment, we have players from the MGL Academy. I think there's some from the NEC and just the outskirts of Dublin just coming together and so, so the Centre of Excellence is a regional thing as opposed to a national academy, is it? It's a re- yeah. regional yeah, place. It's a yeah. stepping stone into the national academy then again. So I know there's a national okay. academy st- st- starting soon. That's the stepping stone after Centre of Excellence. So um, Centre of Excellence is just an opportunity for girls to play with other um, elite players um, once a week and train with them just to get a, a feel of what it's like to be playing, training with top players hmm. um, just to get them ready for that step if some of them are, are capable of making that step into the national academy um, as you just mentioned, which is under 15, and then the international setup and the, the schools under 15, the Irish schools set up. But and, that, and that national academy is will be, is that based in Abbottstown? It'll be in the AUL. So it's all the okay. uh, so certain players from all the centre of excellence under 15s around Ireland will be coming together right. um, just to okay. train, just to train and get them ready for possibly the Irish under 15 schools and then there's an there's another 15s international team which which I'm I'm with at the moment but um yeah Laura's with you under 15 at the moment so I'm sure some of the, the players from the North Dublin um center of excellence will, will hopefully be up with that yeah and and when does the solo when does the national league kick in then for girls um so it's a March to November season um I think what, what age do they start 17. at the 17 oh, okay. yeah. the 17s and then there's a they brought in under 19s one this year um, just for players that probably are too old for under 17s and it's, it's a big step up to senior levels once you mm. once you're finished with under 17 some players mightn't be ready yet uh, for that so they brought in under 19s league which was a really good idea this year and then you have the scene the senior league so 17s 19s and seniors okay and Laura you're involved with the under 15 international squad no, the under fifteen regional centre, regional. For the, the centre of excellence. Yeah, that's like Megan's with the thirteens. I'm with the fifteens up in the AOL. Yeah, so that okay. that's the north northeast kind of area. Yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, I think like you said, the nineteens is a really important one because you've got girls who might be playing Ireland under with Ireland under nineteens, but they're sitting on the bench at their women's national league clubs. 
because they might not have the same experience, maybe at the same level just yet as the girls that are, you know, starting in the starting 11. So that 19, that under 19s league is really, really important for, for the Ireland under 19s team, really, you know, because that was just the big gap that was there. But I have to say it's, it's, it's much, much better that, that we have the under 17s, under 19s and the senior league now, because years ago it was just a real mishmash in different counties, you know, different, even if you, when I think back to when I first got involved with the Irish, Irish underage setup like that, people were so different. The girls were playing at such different levels, you know, week in, week out, where some girls might have even been playing 11 aside and yet they're going playing for Ireland, you know, maybe in a, in a European championship and then others were playing, you know, at maybe a, a much higher level within their league. Like I remember Savannah McCarthy playing in Kerry and then you brought McLaughlin, Donegal and the travel that was involved for them to be playing. You know what I mean? They, they would have been encouraged to, to train with the boys uh, as well and to even train with the boys uh, emerging talent programs at the time and stuff to try to get them to get that regular training. But, but the opportunities is there for the girls now to get that regular training with their league centres, with their centre of excellence. And then if they're good enough, they'll get on to like the likes of national academies. And there's more stepping stones, I think, to help bridge the gap. Because some girls, like before it was, you go from your club and then you're into international setup. And right, do you understand what 4-3-3 is with a holding midfielder and two attacking mids? And they're looking at you going, what are you talking about? Mm. You know, even simple, basic football stuff they might not have known because if they're not getting it in their clubs, then mm. they don't have that. Whereas now... They're getting a week in, week out. That's what we and, and Laura, does the emerging talent exist for girls, or is this all? I suppose just that's essentially what the old emerging talent was is right. the center of excellence. That's really what it is. Okay. You know, they're they're okay. the centers. So it's just the name of them has changed, I suppose, but sure. it's the same idea. You know what I mean? And, and you know, um, the the national league setups then is is every like is every club in the top league at the national women's league today. Are they all required now to have under 19s and under 17s or, or how is that? No, some of them not... do and okay. some of them don't, yeah. Right, It's okay. different and even some teams that might have an under 17s might not have a 19s or seniors just yet. So it all yeah. depends, like it's just... It's... But it's very early stages, I'd imagine, exactly. is it? And, and yeah. it, it, over time, I suppose, ideally, any team in, in the, the top division will have these yeah. teams underneath where, where you, can, you can move up, I suppose. Yeah, so, so yeah. some clubs have started with an under 17s team and right. have, have this long-term plan where in a couple of years' time, they, they'll hopefully have a team in the Women's National League. They just might not have the, the senior players at the moment to make a, a senior team. So they've started with the under-17s and in terms of the, probably the medium-term plan or long-term plan is to have that senior team in the next few years. So they want to under-19s next year okay. and then try to get into the National League in a couple of years from there. Okay, brilliant. A um, couple of things, um, just to, to we're getting towards the end here. Um Megan, just before we started recording, you were, you were talking about kind of the levels that you're experiencing of player ability in, in, on an on a international level or European level. Um, do you want to just explain a little bit about, about that and what, what your, you know, the levels that you're, you're play up against? I'm with PMM United, so we just played um, Spartak um, Subotiga, if I'm right, um, the champions of Serbia. They've won the league the last 11 years in Serbia, so their professional outfit training probably four or five times a week um, and then matching the weekend but their their whole year because they've won the league last 11 years is, is geared towards uh, the Champions League and then the last we had video analysis and stuff on them and when we watched the games compared to the team we played four different players they just signed players from Houston Dash in America and they decided a, a Ghana international so this is the 
players they're bringing in from across the world, not just not just Europe. And this is what you're competing against. Unfortunately, we're only amateur at the moment. And the the, ter- the plan for the next few years is hopefully to really push our league to semi-professional. But you can see the gaps. Um, like we did play really well and we lost, but we lost 5-2, which isn't good enough. Um, for our, our standards, we want to be competing against these top teams in Europe. But in terms of like, our budget if you're going to compare budgets and the the tech like the technical ability of players um it's just there's a huge gap and we we aren't going to attract players from across the world um to PMount United at the moment unfortunately by, by the way I should have asked you earlier that that's um player um pathway for a girl you know can can go up to national league level obviously but what are what are the other opportunities abroad or um you know scholarships and stuff like that what 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 other opportunities are there yeah, so I've uh, I've plenty of friends over in America on scholarships mm. in America, um, and you see Americans contacting Irish agencies all the time looking for Irish players to go abroad. And there has been opportunities for myself in the past, but I suppose each person's different, and um, they choose a different route. It mightn't suit some people. I know friends that have went over to America on a scholarship and absolutely loved it. Still over there now on scholarships. Some have stayed over there to live there. I've had friends went over for a year and it just wasn't for them. Um, but that's it's completely different um, in America in terms of over here. And I know over here that now with the Carlo IT course, sports management, it's run by the FEI. There is opportunities over here as well to play and and, uh, and study. And I know in the Carlo IT course, it's a real it's a real um, professional environment and you're training on a daily basis. And actually in, in Carlo, the four years I was there, the, the, the difference in myself from when I started to when I finished, I was training with boys twice a week on the pitch. And I was in the gym with them once a week, and then I had a match with the with the college team. So, uh, my development was absolutely massive in that course. But if, if you're looking to go abroad, I think America's the huge, um, is huge at the moment, and the amount of players I know, Cork City women's unfortunately lost uh, four top players there recently to go to America on scholarships. But that happens, and it comes down to the financial side of things. And, and you know the players that go to the UK, the ones that I suppose somebody like me would be familiar with at, at the top clubs. Do they, can they make a living out of that or is it typically a kind of a part-time thing that they need work to, to go alongside it? I think it depends on the club. I, I know probably four or five years ago it might have been a part-time thing, but I think yeah. with the WSL, the, there's huge investments going into the, the teams and into the league that most teams are full-time now. Um, I wouldn't know the ins and outs in terms of if you're able to live off um, the year. Because, about- for example, if you look at Arsenal, I'm an Arsenal fan, you look at, at uh, London, I'm sure London's very expensive to live in, you know, so sometimes you kind of mm. go, what something might look, you know, really... Um, fantastic seeing somebody playing at Arsenal but the cost of living and all that could be quite quite a challenging thing I, I would think absolutely and I think a lot of players are, are leaning towards getting agents these days just to, to for the ins and outs of contracts in some contracts might have um their accommodation involved and 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 bits like that and then you have sponsors to provide kind of your your equipment required for football training so I think the women's game has really um has really improved in terms of full-time it's a full-time job and it and it can provide a living even in Glasgow and um, you see a couple of Irish players going over to Glasgow in the last few years and and it's a full-time job for them now they've left their jobs in Ireland to to make that next step in their career so it's it's really improved I, I think compared to five years ago I think it would have been probably a part-time thing and having to get a job on the side unfortunately okay. but, um, I think no, with yeah. the women's um compared to the boys game 
a lot of and what I would advise girls to say if they're doing their, a lot of them would would be academic they'd, they'd want to get the leaving cert whereas boys if they got offered to go I know it's different now with Brexit and stuff but mm-hmm. a lot of boys if they got offered to go to England at 16 they're gone like a shot they wouldn't even think twice about it whereas if a girl at 16 or 17 in Ireland was offered a contract with one of these top teams in WSL or whatever they most of them and I would probably advise them as well is to say no I'm doing my leaving cert first maybe then go, or some girls would even say, I'm going to get my degree first, depending on what, they're, what they want to do in their careers and stuff, and then go, you know what I mean? Because, it, like you say, you can make a living out of it, but it's, it's, at, it's nowhere near the level of the men's game where you're going to retire and not have to work again, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you can definitely make a career out of it and do well and, you know, live comfortably if you're at a good level. But the, the difference with the men's and the women's is when you retire, you're going to have to go do something else, you know what I mean? And that's, now it could be coaching or whatever, but but I know that a lot of the girls would play it safer and like that want to have a backup like mm. and then and then like a lot of them would go and become professional footballers once they have their like Amber Barrett's a good example probably yeah. there where she got her teaching degree and then she's like right I'll be a professional footballer now you know and that's yeah. what, and it's probably what I would advise them all to do as well really because then you are playing as a footballer and if anything goes wrong injuries wise or but, you know, but, but, Laura, but Laura, you could be saying this to boys, you know. Yeah, probably learn a bit about the way the girls are, are doing it, if you know what I mean. But it's, it's mm. probably more so. And the, boys, and, the, and, the, and the parents. And the parents. Yeah, yeah. Mm. but the boys would always like, I mean, if you get an offer, I can totally understand as well. If you get an offer to sign for a big club with the boys, the money you're talking and the potential money you're talking is, is at another yeah. level. So sure, maybe it's yeah. worth that yeah. risk for some players. But I just find that the girls are more cautious and more aware of the pitfalls and, mm. but, but because the opportunities are very new as well, because like you said, Megan, it's only more recently that you are making a comfortable living out of it. Some players in Arsenal years ago when Emma Byrne and that was there, like some of them are, were playing part-time and then having to do maybe coaching the community as, you know, to make up their wages to their weekly wages or whatever. Do you know what I mean? But, but the opportunities are there and, and you can be a professional footballer now. That's, that's reality, I suppose. Okay. Well, you you took you took the words out of my mouth about Amber Barrett. She done, I think, the right thing. Mm. I think it's important to really have something to fall back on, not just for females but males as well. It's a, I, I'd be someone that would want to kind of get a degree and then go abroad. So when my career does it does come to an end, I do have it that degree to fall back on to to get a job. And like you said, Amber Barrett, she went and done her masters in teaching. And, She's in Cologne now playing professional football and she has that teaching degree to fall back on yeah. once she finishes her professional career. So I think that's probably the best option if players are willing to do that, not just females, but males as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, before we finish up, I, I want to get into the, the area of a coaching nugget from the two of you, right? And I'm going to share one from me as well. Um, that's one I'm becoming more conscious of, of late is the use of language. So, for example, a simple passing drill where you're looking at the kind of, you know, the, the key elements of, of passing. And I find always very difficult because I think the basics of the game are passing and, you know, you just got to keep all those elements going, uh, repetition around passing and, and the elements of it. And the whole, the bit about the pace of the ball. So I've gone down the road, my, my players are 14, now under 15. I've gone down like talking about the pace of the pass, which I'm sure they have no idea what I'm talking about. I've used language like hard and soft, you know, kick it hard, kick it soft, you know, what, what's the, 
Um, what's the downside of you kick it too hard? You know, you, you might miscontrol the ball. If you kick it too soft, the opponent might intercept it. Um, down to things like just give it a good lash, you know? You know, having a clue what that means, I, I, I would think. So I just think it's, it's for me, it's, it's, a, it's about breaking down language and I have a great example of us, two examples. Um, when I started out coaching kids, at one point I said to one of the lads, will you go and pick him up in a game? And he literally picked him up. <laughs> like it was, hila- it, great was, lesson, isn't it? <laughs> it was hilarious in the use of language, right? And there he was holding him up in the air, looking at me going, is that what you're looking for me to do, right? That's a true story. And the other one is from my UL days when I, when I managed the, the Collingwood team. There was... There was a senior, there was a mature student playing. He was an experienced player and there was a fresher on the team. And Colm, who was the, the older guy, uh, was taking a throw in and he was shouting, they're actually both Colm actually, which, which will confuse the story. But the younger Colm, he was shouting at the younger Colm uh, to get off the line when he was taking the throw. Get off the line and he was getting really frustrated with him and stuff like that. And I pulled up the older Colm aside at halftime and said, he doesn't understand what you're asking him to do. Younger Colin went on to have a really successful career in the League of Ireland as a striker, as it turned out. And it was just amazing that people, you whether you're a coach or a senior player, using language that actually the recipient of that language isn't get that. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's adult language, it's slang, it's lingo. Um, and that's my tip for this podcast is think about what you're saying and if the players really understand it particularly uh, younger kids to use appropriate language so um laura just on that i know you're teaching now have you have you any anything you've picked up from the teaching that you kind of go yeah that's really links into coaching or, or one you know one that that uh, supports the other well i think you're, you're dead right in what you're saying you have to pitch everything whether you're teaching or co- I, I just find teaching and coaching crosses over so much mm. like it's 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 very very similar in what you're doing um um but you're right in what you're saying about pitching at their level like if you if you have a group of players and you're trying to get a point across and they don't know what you're saying they, they don't understand what you're saying or even if it's only one player that doesn't understand what you're talking mm, about yeah. it's all going to fall apart like like and i've seen that with coaches even on you know in coaching courses when um the tutors are delivering what they're what they're asking them to do and then the the coaches are trying to put it on like i know say orientation for example is exactly what you want the player, where you want the players to be and all the rest. But then I've seen coaches telling players, right, this is the orientation. And the, kid, the kids don't even know, need to know that word. Do you know what I mean? Well, I think what you said is probably correct. And the way I approach things is I always ask the question, like, do you understand? So if, if I say something to a player, for example, you said the pace of the pass, I'd probably say, do you understand? Nine times out of 10, they will say, yeah. But if you, if you ask to, them to explain it and they don't understand, then you can take it further and actually explain what you mean by that. But in, in terms of, I know, tactics board and all these fancy things we use now or analysis, um, huddle and whatever it may be, if you, if you were to show a player something and ask them, what did you see here? Or what can you tell me about this here? A lot of them throw these buzzwords out. So say, what was I looking for from you here? And they mean an overlap. What's an overlap? And that's when they start to understand. And if they say don't know, there's no problem with I don't know. Mm. Because that means you have to explain to them and they'll learn and they'll listen. 
But it players, let's just say, if you ask, if you say something and you just say yeah, and you just leave and and, and brush it aside and just continue with your coaching, it's no good. I think a lot of coaches just want to use all this fancy lingo and don't want to actually coach the kids. They just want to kind of look good and sound good and use all these phrases they learned from a coaching course last week. But it's really important to coach the kids and make them understand what you're. Well, I think I think that what you've said there and and. I think the key point that you made there as well is that you're only as good as the the last player that gets it kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? So if if 10, if, if your squad of 18 and 17 get it and one doesn't, you haven't really done your job properly. And mm-hmm. I know it takes a lot of time and effort to get that message or to, to even figure out if they've all understood it because you might be taking players aside individually and all that. It takes a lot of hard work, but that's what's required, isn't it really? Yes, yeah, so like uh, that's what I that's what I use. I we use more so if we're doing a phase of play. Some kids don't even know what like what a phase, a phase of play is. But on the tactics board, then ask them at the very start what can, what can, what can you tell me about here. Sometimes you're not telling them anything. You're all you're doing is asking them the questions, and they're actually telling you what you're doing, and that means they're tuned in. They understand what you're saying, and then you can go onto the pitch and start using all these fancy words because they've already given them to you, so they understand what you're talking about. So it's really important not to just go on a pitch and use this universal football language and they don't understand, they have, they have a notion what you're talking about mm-hmm. because it's no good then when they go onto the pitch and try and make decisions for themselves on the pitch. And, and by the way, in my experience, a lot of coaches can use the fancy language without yeah. really, if you, if you apply to that approach that you just said there, if you actually ask some questions, I'm not sure they'd really know yeah. and what, I, what they the meant. Way, the way I am as well as a coach, I think... It's very hard to tell a child what to do on a pitch if you're going through a pattern of play or phase of play because at the end of the day, on the pi- when something happens on the pitch, you don't know what's going to happen on the pitch. And I wish I knew what was going to happen for, from one minute to 90 minutes on the pitch, but we don't know. So it's important to give the kids guidelines and understand that they can they can go out there and express themselves and play with freedom. And we're not telling them what to do. It's just guidelines to help them in, in certain scenarios. And I think players that go out there with that comfort knowing that they, they can express themselves in, in every way do play the best football because kids that go out and do what you say and act like robots they can be very uptight and tense and they overthink a certain situation they wouldn't play the best football so that can be very frustrating seeing coaches that are telling kids what to do I think it's important to mm. to to really like be open well, I, I, just another example I have of that and it's a very kind of a, a standout one that if you have a goalkeeper in training that can't kick the ball off the ground and say hit the halfway line, if you can't do it in training, don't expect him to be able to do it in the match. And and if you've got coaches shouting and roaring at him, you're kind of going, like, what did you expect? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, there's, there's absolutely <laughs> and you do have coaches that 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 just just get frustrated at that. And but all it takes is just letting the kids just play with freedom. And, I always say if you give 100% and the biggest thing with coaching is let them have fun. If they're not having fun, they're not going to play well. What do you say to youngsters going out in a competitive game? Let's say, you know, every game is competitive, but let's say that there is a league table and stuff like that. What would be the main message to say? Because often we say go out and enjoy yourself, but I don't think we really mean that. We kind of mean go and put, you know, you'll, you'll kind of enjoy it if you put the required effort in you know or, or it's not necessarily enjoy and have to crack but what yeah. what is the main message you give them like obviously at the end of the day there, there'll be something involved whether it's it's a cup final and there's a trophy involved but they're, they're still kids and you have to remember that and and it's it, it is about development more so everyone loves winning 
and uh, like people are sometimes are only happy if they're winning but if something doesn't go their way there has to be a loser at the end of the day and yeah. I wouldn't say to if I had a team to come off the pitch I've had in the past in the Gainer Cups they've come off the pitch and they're they're crying their eyes out they've lost the cup final and they're devastated we don't lose you learn and you just make sure that doesn't happen next year but one if as a coach if I see them kids have left 100% on that pitch and, and given it their all and, and, and did their best yeah. and played with a smile on their face and really tried, well, then I'm happy. I like that. You don't you don't lose, you learn. I like that. Yes, <laughs> as a fancy one for you. But yeah, yeah. because if you start uh, really using that word, like lose or you've lost, that creates a negative mindset, I think, for kids. So if they were to react to why they lost and how they lost and what went wrong in the game. So we lost two days ago. I'm going back to a play, being a player now. We lost two days ago. We're not beating ourselves up over the loss. We're looking and going, how do we close this gap? How do we stop these teams beating us? Where can we Where can we improve? Although we played well, we still have to be critical of ourselves and look at the, the goals we conceded and go, what went wrong and how can but we you know, Do you know what I find fascinating in coaching is, and I'm not suggesting that, that one goes out to try and lose, but if you win a game, the following week, you're kind of complacent. You know what I mean? You're kind of going, we played well, we won the game. You're maybe not thinking of the performance and stuff. But if you lose, you spend that whole next week trying to fix yeah. it. So sometimes and losing is, is, what did you say again? You don't lose, you learn. You know, it yeah. really puts it's you into that, that learning space. It's yeah. a natural instinct, I yeah. think. I'm, I wouldn't be the best loser in the world, especially as a player. I think as a coach, you have to lead by example more so and not let it body as much. But as a player, I absolutely hate losing and, um, it would bother me, but I think when it happens on a Saturday night, if whenever you're playing and reflect on Sunday, I use Sunday for reflection. You watch the match back and mm. what could I have done better? What did did I do well that I can bring into the next game? And then once Monday starts it's a new week, and you look forward to the next weekend. And it's important to just take every game as it comes and not not be a kind of like a reactive person and and be like relying on what happened in the past. But look look reacting to what, what's happened this weekend and what can we change this weekend to make sure that doesn't happen again sure great stuff thanks a million laura going back to you on on the teaching bit tell me a bit more about your your kind of what you've learned in the teaching and, and what what you could what you could bring into the coach and or vice versa to be honest like i i just find them very similar so it's, it's like i'm nearly continuing my journey and like i've obviously been coaching for a long time but the teaching I found that I, I was able to adapt to the teaching very quickly because of that um, and like you said pitching at their level so when you're teaching something you have to start at their level and then you know figure out what what they know where they're at and then you build from there because it's the same when you go in and coach a team if you're coaching a team and you you want them to play in a certain way you have to think what what's your next priority do you know what I mean and, and build little building blocks and stepping stones I suppose but um, have, language, you have you changed your coaching in any way as a result of your teaching? Uh, I, I wouldn't really think so, no. Mm, okay. no not, not really, no. Um, no, I, I can't think now of something specific mm. that would have, maybe it's because I'm on my summer holidays now for two months. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Switched yeah. off. Switched off. <laughs> you forget, yeah. But how, but how do you check for learning in the coaching? How do you, back to Megan's point, how do you know that they're getting it or they're, they're taking it on board? Pretty much when you see the next match. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. You, see, yeah. <laughs> you know, when you do a set that's piece. The, well, that's the true, the true test, isn't it? <laughs> when you've done a set piece for ages in a training session, next thing you go out and they all look at each other and they <laughs> don't go to the right place 
because that's when mm. you know you mm. need to go back and do it again and and you know you're gonna you can say that about anything that you're working on in training but that that's essentially it like when you when you go into your next match and you see because we, we've had a bit of crack on the podcast and other episodes where we talk about we're thinking maybe you're doing one that that's called um why don't we train on fridays right um, and it's kind of a bit of a laugh, but there's a lot of clubs who don't train on a Friday. And I suppose if you think about the, the, the kind of recency effect where if you're doing a set piece on a Friday mm. evening and you're playing on Saturday or Sunday, there's a better chance they're going to remember it than if you were training on Thursday, Thursday evening for a Sunday game, you know. True, yeah, um, yeah. So it is it is interesting um, in terms of how they what they remember yeah. uh, obviously the younger they are the harder uh, that the is, kids uh, it's just repetition though i think mm, like if you've done mm. it you have to do the set pieces week in week out and nearly you know and mm. then then it'll eventually just start doing them in the games but like that's that's, that's the challenge when you're away with international teams or you know when you don't have them as often that you have to you have to really nail it you know because they have to know in the next game and they're probably only with each other for a few training sessions but um yeah, just like when you're talking with the coach and Nugget, I suppose, I, I don't know if you say it's a Nugget or a bit of advice. Mm. Uh, what I would say is to um, to build relationships with the players. Uh, I, I think that's crucial. Um, Megan will tell you when she played for, you know, under Dave Bell, that the players would, would want to go through a brick wall to, to do well for him. And uh, I, I met him recently with uh, Cork with Waterford in, in the hotel. Oh, yeah. um, sorry, up in Donegal, Finn Harps. They're playing Finn Harps the next yeah. day. Mm. yeah. But they've had that that real um, skill and gift for building relationships with the players. And come here, how do you suggest you do that with younger kids? Now, I don't know what, say age 12, for example. I think it's how you conduct yourself. It, it comes from how you actually are as a person, as you, how you conduct yourself in front of the players. So hmm. if you go out and you're the type of coach, and I see these type of coaches all the time, and you're, I don't know what it is about some coaches that they think they need to spot the negative all the time. And tell the players what they're doing wrong and it's like that that's that's key to being a coach and i i it just seems to be i don't know i don't know what it is it's a, it seems to be rife i suppose in, in underage coaching in ireland that they're shouting and roaring at what they're doing wrong. by the way and you know i was involved in coach education there was an element of coach education where it was always going and fix it as opposed to go in yeah. and maybe um reaffirm something good there may be an element of that, you know. And I really feel that it is about the, the language that you use, the communication that you have, mm. how, how you approach someone. So you have to get to know the players, first of all. Like, you know, when you have a squad of players, they're not all going to be the same. So one player is going to be, he's going to need maybe a, a, a softer touch, as in you say to them, look, you know, you, you give them a bit of praise, then you might say, look, this is what you can do a bit better. And it's how you phrase that and how you talk to the player and the respect that you give them. And that's that's really, I think it's it's, it's based on respect, really. That's how you build respect. And, and it's not easy to get around everybody individually either, you know, it's because not, no, you've only got an hour and, and all that kind of stuff. And that's it, especially yeah. like club coaches, if you have an hour a week, um, it takes time as well. Like they're not just going to automatically be all like that. But I do think that it's about trying to get like i mean even if you're if you're a coach and you have 20 players that you're you know maybe focus on a few of them this week a few next week and try to but as an overall give them a little um come here would you well. just just because it is hard logistically would you look at maybe taking defenders together midfielders together yeah. you could do it in that way maybe yeah you could yeah mm. absolutely yeah yeah mm. and it depends what you're working on in the training mm. session sometimes you're working on defending more so you, you know but i do think you can impact every player in every session I, and it might just be like it's not at the end of session you're going through each player it's during the session it's it's how you conduct yourself it's how you speak to the players 
um, if you're if you're just giving out all the time, they're not going to listen to you after a while because everyone gets fed up with that. And that's mm. ties back into when John McCarthy said, make sure you play, get to play because I've had those coaches that just point out everything that's going wrong. Mm. And I'm like, Jesus. And you know as well, when you, right, when, you, you know? when you put yourself back as a player and, and, and when I do, do you know when you make a mistake in a game, you know you've made a mistake yeah. and you kind of just want the opportunity to not make it the next time. Yeah. But if the coach is already in your ear and you're going, like, I know, you know, yeah. I don't need to be told. Yeah. Um, that, that can be very frustrating. You know, if the coach is always jumping in rather than let things play out and see maybe if you're going to repeat that yeah. error. That's um, something I would tell the players as well. It's how they interact with each other as well. So as a coach, you are the, the facilitator of all of that. So like if, if, a, if a player on your team is always given out to the players around them, the heads go down the next, like if you make a mistake, you're going to make another mistake and another mistake if that's the environment that they're in. Whereas if you're in an, env- an environment that kind of is supportive and someone's having a bad game and the players around you are trying to lift you and yeah. the co- that comes from the coach as well. The coach is saying, this is the type of team I want to, used to be. This is the type of players I want to be. And if someone is effing and blinding on the pitch at the other players, they say, right, stand beside me for a while and, and tell them why. And then, you know, that's, you're creating the conditions for the players. You're creating the environment. So, you know, even when Megan was talking about whether players will ask questions or not, that is totally reliant on the coach. If the coach kind of laughs at someone asking a question or makes a mockery of them, then they're not, no one else is going to ask a question ever again, basically. And, and you know what I find sometimes as well, and, and you know, none of us are perfect, but, I, you know, sometimes when a player is trying to tell you something, mm. And you might just dismiss it or just, you know, you want to say, just get on with it or whatever. But actually what they're about to tell you is the key piece of information, you know. So I had one recently where a player wasn't doing something for me and I called him aside or sorry, he started uh, talking back to me. And I kind of then eventually said, what are you saying to me? And it was another player was telling him not to do Mm. what I was asking to do, you know. Mm. So it's very important to to take the time to listen. Yeah. And that's the respect. That goes back to respect. Whereas Mm. if you listen to the players, they listen to you. Like, I just think that that's some, some coaches think, oh, I don't know how to do that. How, how come the players really want to play for you? How come, you know, that, you know, they come over and celebrate all together and stuff. It's because you guide them on that. You kind of, mm. you start and it takes time to do it, but you, you tell them what you're expecting of them. You tell them week in, week out, you know, you tell them not to give out to each other. You tell them to support each other. Mm. And, and you tell them like, when you make a mistake, do you want everyone else shouting at you? So if that's that player, you know what I mean? That they start thinking about it and going, hold on, actually. Just you know, open like, communication. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like I, I know one player now, she's an underage player and she used to get really, really tick with herself on the pitch and she'd get tick with others around her. She was a very high level player, like really probably the best player on every team she played for. And she's turning around, she's giving out to other players and they make a mistake. And then she starts giving out to herself and she ends up making loads of mistakes then because she's having this tantrum nearly on the pitch. Mm. And one day I took her off and I said, listen, you need to learn to get on with it and react to what's happening and just get on with it. And I'm not messing when I say from that day on, she was a different player. And, you know, she's, she's gone up to the very top, like, and she just, she just took on board. Cause I said, you know, everyone's going to be saying that one's a great player, but you know, she, 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 uh, she loses the head. Or and she, isn't it great as a coach when you see somebody reacting to something, you know, yeah. or, or the only thing you can put it down to is the fact that you, you know, that whatever you said to them, yeah. must have had an impact is great so that's yeah. that's that's what you should be in coaching for to help develop players mm. and to help them become 
the better version of themselves. And the and sometimes, Laura, that's all you get out of it is, is being able to see that maybe a player has taken on board yeah. what you've said. To they mightn't come back and say thanks for it, but they've, yeah. they've changed their yeah. behaviour or whatever. Yeah. And I do find there is players that will come back and it takes sometimes a few years or whatever, but they'll come mm. back and they'll say, thanks for that, or I remember this or whatever. You know, Megan tell me, <laughs> I remember Boston around us, whatever, you know, but. Uh, mm. Um, but no, I do find that some players, it, it could take 10 years or whatever, but when you bump into them again, it's great when you do. And they kind of, they might, they'll tell you something that you mightn't even remember, you know, that mm. they remembered. And, uh, but it is all about that, just trying to bring them on. And I do think it's important for coaches to realize the impact they're having on kids' lives as well as, mm. it's not just about football. Like that's something that, like if things aren't going your way and you lose the head, you're going to end up in trouble in life. You know what I mean? Yeah, Whereas yeah. apply it to anything. Like, you know, it's not going your way in, in anything you do in life that yeah. you have to just get on with it and try to. Oh, no, I fully agree. Out. I fully agree with mm. you. And I think sometimes maybe the value of the coaches is, is not valued enough, you know, now you only have a short space of time with them, but I, mm. I, I agree with you. You're, you're trying to influence them to stay out of trouble and, yeah. and whatever it might be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but sure. you're having a bigger yeah. impact than you think probably. And, but I do think that to be that positive role model to give that respect that's how you build relationships. Check out the grassrootscoach.com, a community of grassroots soccer coaches for the sharing of knowledge and best practice.